Amen. Nothing but the blood. That's what it's all about, Lord. Your precious blood that was shed. Same precious blood that quaked the earth as your blood was swallowed up into the earth. The same blood saves us from our sin. And we weep just like the earth was weeping when the blood rolled down the cross onto the ground and the earth quaked and the sky blew, grew dark and the lightning flashed and the thunder made all kind of racket. Just like the soldier, the centurion at the cross, Lord, we say, surely this is the Son of God. Oh, Lord, you're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you for your precious blood. Without it, we would not be saved. Without it, we would not be redeemed. Without it, we would be headed for the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of light. And without it, we would, we would be we would be wretched sinners. But because of your blood, we wear your righteous robes of righteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Nothing but the blood. The blood of the living God shed for me. Praise your holy name. I pray that the world today and every day, Lord, would be redeemed and will come to the precious blood shed. And they would find the beautiful Savior in their lives. To you be the glory, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. For those of you who just tuned in online, you're listening to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're, we're right on High Paluxo Road, 2810 High Paluxo Road, just about half a mile, three-quarters of a mile uh, west of I-95 on the north side of the road. So come and join us sometime if you're in the local area. We'd love to see you. Um, For those of you just tuned in, again, you can go to the website, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org, and you can, can uh, find out all about us, our location, everything, you know, who we are, what we believe in, and uh, you can even donate online, whatever you choose to, to do. Anyway, I thought this morning was Holy Spirit-led. I don't know about you, but I'm up here with the chills there for a little bit, you know. Um, but we're going to chapter 10 of uh, Hebrews today, so get your Bibles out. I'm going to be reading from the uh, New American Standard, which is my favorite version, uh, mainly because the New King James wasn't out when I got saved. New King James is very good. It's a Masoretic text, and uh, it's a very good text. But I like to compare them all. I first go, if I have a question, I first go to the King James. If I have another question, I go to the American Standard. If I have another question, I go to the New King James. And then the Young's Literal. I love the Young's Literal uh, also. But listen, today, Hebrews chapter 10, I named this message, The Law, a Hazy Outline. The Law, the Mosaic Law is a Hazy Outline. And the Greek word there, and I'm sorry, the Hebrew word there is skyan. Skyan, a hazy outline. That's what the Old Testament was. A hazy outline of the New Testament to come. And we're going to see that in chapter 11, or chapter 10 right here in, uh, in your Bible. I'm going to be reading chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 18. New American Standard. For the law, that's the Mosaic law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers have once been cleansed? 
consciously consciousness of sin but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins therefore when he comes into the world he says sacrifice and offerings you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you have taken no pleasure then i said behold i have come in the scroll of the book it's written of me do your will O god after saying the above sacrifice and offerings the and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law then he said behold i have come to do your will he takes away the first covenant that is to in order to establish the second covenant that is by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of god waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified and the holy spirit who also testified to us for after saying this is the covenant which i will make with them after those days says the lord i will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind i will write them then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now there is forgiveness of these things. There is no longer any offering for sin. That's a pretty deep passage, and I'm sure I'm not going to get to the depth of it because I don't believe any scholar could even touch the bottom anywhere near this book and in whatever chapter they may read. But the Holy Spirit is going to show us a few things today, uh, and I'm sure of that, because we asked him to, and he always does. Hebrews 10, chapter, verse 1, the first part of that verse says this. Remember, this title of this is, The Law, a Hazy Outline. A Hazy Outline. Skyan is the Hebrew word. Skyan, it's a hazy outline. A shadow. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, the Mosaic law, as I said when I read, having a shadow of things to come and not the very image of the things. The old covenant was only a mere shadow, a hazy outline. The Mosaic law provided a good purpose. The Mosaic law provided a good purpose, but it was incomplete. Jesus completed it at the cross and his resurrection. The old covenant was not the substance. It was a picture of the future covenant to come. It was a picture of a better covenant. It was a picture of a complete cleansing instead of a temporary cleansing for your sins. It was a picture that must be repeated year after year after year after year. It was a picture of an incomplete covenant because it was a hazy outline. It was a picture of you cannot live in the shadow of a house, could you? Could you stand under the shadow of a, a, a tree? Yes. But you couldn't live under that tree. This was a shadow. That's what God's trying to tell us here. The old covenant is a shadow. It's a hazy outline of what was to come, a better and a complete covenant. 
The Old Testament is a shadow. It was never the substance. Never the substance. The Old Covenant was not bad. The Old Covenant was not evil. It was just incomplete. Jesus completed it. He completed it himself, the Lord did. He cried out at the cross, Teles Teli. He said, It was finished. It was finished. You know, you could also translate complete. As I learned in Bible college, completely complete. He completely completed the Old Testament. He completed what, what was written in the Old Testament and completed it in the New Testament. Went out to save us from the deliverance of our, to deliver us from Egypt slavery, but to deliver us from the slavery of sin and deliver us from the penalty of the slavery of sin. The seed. It was planted way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord said, as he pronounced a curse on Satan who deceived Eve and Adam, and he said, he said, the seed of the woman will bruise your skull and he will bruise your heel and you will bruise his, his, his heel. Right there in the beginning of the, the scriptures, the Lord has already established the antidote that the new covenant was coming. We didn't know there had to be an old covenant first, but the Hebrews were so bad, God had to, what can I say, like a teacher that would put a bad student in the corner for a while. That's what he was doing. Come on, listen up. Listen up and obey the, ten, the commandments. It's written throughout the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, I did a teaching not a few weeks back, just two or three weeks back, called the Scarlet Thread that ran from all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Some of those things I'm going to repeat here right now. Number Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was taking Isaac up to the mountain, and he said, Isaac says to Daddy, he says, Dad, he says, we have the fire, we have the wood, because Isaac was carrying it on his back, a picture of Christ. Okay, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? To which Abraham answered in verse 8 of chapter 22, the Lord himself will be the sacrifice. You know what that was saying? I am going to be sacrificed for you. He became the sacrifice. This is a picture. The Old Testament does just a hazy outline. It's a picture of what was going to come. Isaiah 53 verse 11 says, My servant shall justify the many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Talking about Messiah to come. He, you know, the, the Old Testament just had hazy outlines. Isaiah 53 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Messiah, a hazy outline of what's to come in Isaiah 53. He was going to complete it. Daniel tells us that after 69 weeks, the Messiah would be cut off. The Messiah would be cut off 69 weeks. This is Babylonian weeks. It's 360 days in a Babylonian calendar. It comes out to 173,880 days. And it says in Daniel chapter 9, from the edit to rebuild the temple and Jerusalem to Messiah will be 173,880 days or 483 Babylonian years. If you count those days out, because the day in, in, in history is marked that the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem was March 4th, 444 B.C. March 4th, 444 B.C. If you count off those 173,880 days, you will end up in Jerusalem in around 33 A.D., actually March of 33 A.D. You can find that right in Josh McDowell's book, page 99 and 100. He has a chart of it. We can pinpoint days today because of the accuracy of many things. Josh McDowell isn't anybody to... to uh, to say, hey, he's, he's a heretic or anything. 
you know, he's a graduate of, of Wheaton College and uh, Talbot um, Theological Seminary. He's a main spokesperson for Youth for Christ, or for, uh, I'm sorry, it isn't Youth for Christ, it's, it's Campus Crusade for Christ. You can't doubt it. He's wrote many books. He's an author, a theologian. You can count it out. It's, it's amazing. Daniel was saying you, this hazy outline is going to be completed 173,880 days from now, from the day the temple was built. I'm sorry. All these things are hazy outlines. Zechariah tells us your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even the colt of a foul donkey. Listen. These are just hazy outlines. Jesus is going to come riding on a donkey. We know that happened on Palm Sunday. John the Baptist comes along, the forerunner of Christ, as the Old Testament tells us, which is a hazy outline. He says, behold, the Lamb of God is going to take away the sins of the world, not cover them over. The blood of bulls and goats just covered the sins of Israel. It covered them. It did not take them away. It was incomplete. God had to complete it. And how did He complete it? He completed it through His Son, Jesus Christ. I myself will be the sacrifice. Genesis 22, 8. He's going to take away the sins of the world. He is not going to cover them over. The Jews had to sacrifice lambs and donkeys. There's something like 30... 35,000 animals that were sacrificed in one day because of this. And the high priest did all the sacrificing himself only to one day of year. Other days of the year, all the other priests sacrificed. It's amazing when you, you take all the pictures, it points only to one possible person in the Old Testament. Oh, and then there's so much more. There's 365 prophecies in the Scripture. There's many foreshadowings and types and Christophanies that talk to you about the Son of God that's coming, will be coming. He took away the sins of the world. Hebrews 10.1 And not the very image of things to come. Let me ask you something. Is the shadow of a tree the real tree? No. Is the shadow um, of, a, of a car a real car. I'm going to get in the shadow of my car and drive away. It's not the car. Neither was the Old Testament the complete testament. Shadows have no substance. Shadows are not reality. I remember watching when I was a kid, Peter Pan. I think it was Peter Pan or Tinkerbell tried to catch his shadow. And he could never do it. You know, son, the shadow is not the complete thing. It's just not the complete thing. Jesus is the substance of the Old Testament. Jesus is the reality revealed in the, Old, in the New Testament. He's the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation. Why did he tell Thomas, or Philip it was, in, in John chapter 14, he said, show me the Father? How long, how long have I been with you, Philip? You don't recognize me? Pictures. Jesus is the substance of the Old Testament. That's what he was telling his disciples. We take a look at the bronze serpent on the wood, wood pole that Moses, Moses had made because God told him to make, it, make a serpent, put it on a wood pole, and whenever these serpents in the desert, these vipers bite the, the people, they, all they have to do is look at the serp, serpent and, and they will be healed. And I can picture Israel right now. That's an idol. We're making an idol. But it was a picture of what was to come. There was going to be this cross someday on a hill called Calvary. And on that cross, the righteous Son of God became the sins of all the world for you and for me. And a serpent represents sin. And bronze represents judgment because the serpent was made of bronze. Judgment went upon our Savior Jesus. That's what that's all about. The bronze serpent. Jonah. Jonah. It's a picture of Christ. Jonah. Why do you think God had him in the belly of the whale for three days, three nights? Because it was a picture that the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. A picture. Manna. Manna. 
angel food. Israel complained about it constantly. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am the bread of life, the manna of life. Picture, he's the one that sustained them in the desert because he gave them bread to eat. Jesus said, you know, I have bread to eat that you don't even know about in John chapter 4 to his disciples. The law is just a shadow of the good things to come. Noah's Ark, what do you think that was? Noah's Ark was a picture. It was a type of Christ for salvation. There was one door to get into that ark. And there's only one door to get into heaven to be saved. And that's through, through, the, through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the door to heaven. I am the door. Ego e me, as I say all the time, because I try to drive this home. The Greek word is ego e me. Ego means I, and me, me means I am. So Jesus said, I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the resurrection and the life. It was, it was trying to drive it home, and that's what I'm trying to do, drive it home. There's seven I am statements in the Bible. Jesus said, I, I am the door to heaven. This is, these were just pictures in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 5.7 compares the Jews to Passover. And, and uh, John tells us it's about the Lamb of God. Hebrews 10.20, which we're going to read tonight, compares Jesus' body with the temple veil. The veil that was torn. Jesus' flesh was torn. So that we can, so the, the curtain could be torn from top to bottom. We can have open access to God. Anytime you want to, directly, you can go right before God because Jesus' body was that veil. And his body was torn for you so that you can have access to God. So don't take prayer lightly. Uh, Genesis chapter 22 again, apart from verse 8, compares Isaac's with Jesus' sacrifice. Isaac was saved and the ram was caught in the thicket, was sacrificed. You were saved, and Jesus was sacrificed right here on this cross, not this particular one. Joseph is a type and a shadow of Christ. Abraham is a type of father in the Bible. Jesus is a type of I, uh, Isaac is a type of son. Eliezer, the servant whose name is, means helper, is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that went out to get a bride for Isaac. Eleazar is, is the uh, uh, picture of the Holy Spirit. And he went out and met this girl, and her name was Rebecca. And he brought her to Isaac as a wife, and Rebecca is the bride. Abraham's the father. This is a typology. Abraham's the father. Isaac's the son. The Eliezer, the servant, is the Holy Spirit who went out to get the bride. And that's what his name means, helper. And Rebecca is a bride. It's a type of you and me today. We are the bride of Christ. It's a picture of, it's a picture of Rebecca. Rebecca's a picture of us today. And listen to this. Rebecca was beautiful. And you know what? To God, the church of Jesus Christ is beautiful. You know why? It's covered by the blood. So much more in the scriptures. The Old Testament was just a hazy outline. It was a shadow of things to come. There's so much more. Those 365 prophecies in the Old Testament point to only one man. Only one man could fulfill it. And it could only end up in one time zone. It's picture there's no doubt about it you know prophecies types shadows of things to come pictures that God is painting all through the Old Testament to show us that his son Jesus Christ is the Lord and had God the Father prepared a body for him so that he could be bruised and broken for our sins so that he could be, his blood could be shed for our salvation. And his precious body would be raised from the dead without any deterioration, without any bone broken. 
three days later, and it came to pass. I was telling the men's group yesterday, you know, when I was a young, I wasn't even a believer then, but I had started reading my Bible in Vietnam, and then I came back from Vietnam. I, about seven, six years later, five years later, I picked up a little Gideon Bible on my bookshelf, took it to work, started reading it, and for you would be surprised, the Christians that came out of the woodwork. Ah, you're reading the Bible. And then they started witnessing to me and telling me things about the Lord Jesus, and which helped. That was great. But the one gave me a track, a track. It was a chick track. You, you, it's, it's a little booklet-like, and it, it said, Creator or Liar? The book was Creator or Liar. I remember it was black, and it was like little stars on it, and it said, Creator or Liar? And I read the whole thing, and I went to work, and a guy said to me, his name was Dudley Mays, and I pray for him today. He's a pastor, too. I said to him, I said, Dudley? He said, how do you like that? I said, Dudley, I like that. I said, nice. He, says, he said, what hit you the most? I said, it was 33 prophecies were fulfilled the day Jesus died. 33 of those 365 prophecies were fulfilled the day Jesus died. And I thought, yeah, that's nice. That kind of was interesting. He said, but you know what? You know what there is special about that? And I said, I don't know. What is it? He said, half of them were fulfilled after he was dead. And I go, the Holy Spirit just came upon me with power and said, Jesus Christ is the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I was shocked. I knew right there that Jesus Christ was the Lord. If Who can control anything after they're dead? Unless they weren't dead. Huh. So I struggled for weeks, I don't know, months, days, I don't remember, but it was June 25th, 1977 where I surrendered to the cross of Christ. The law is just a shadow. That was a revelatory knowledge for me. Revelatory that I knew Jesus Christ was the Lord. And I had, you know, I had a dream after that. And in that dream, God showed me I can't run from him. I woke up the next morning and I bowed my head and gave my life to Jesus. Actually, Dudley was there with me. Verse 1. That's only the, we're still in the first verse, kids. Hebrews 1, 10, verse 1, part C. Can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect those sins, the offerings of bulls and goats and pigeons and doves and who, who knows what, they could never take away sin. They were an offering that had to be continually done. But when Christ came, the offering ceased. Isn't it interesting that Jesus died when he was about 33, and I have controversy with that. I think he was closer to 40, and I can justify it scripturally because I know that, that you know, um, Herod the Great was still in control of Jerusalem. He was alive, and he died in either 4 or 6 B.C. Jesus, he's the one that killed the babies at Jerusalem. That tells you that, you know, the ADBC might be off a little because history says something different. Yes, he started his ministry when he was 30. The Bible tells you that. He started his ministry when he was 30. A high priest of Israel would start. He wasn't allowed to start a minister or become high priest until he was 30, and he had to retire before he was 50. He had to retire before he was 50. So Jesus was somewhere in between there. These bulls and goats and everything that's being offered is just a shadow of the real thing that Jesus was going to come. The Son of God was going to come. The law says it has shadows with animals. Sacrifices solved the problem. There wouldn't be a shadow. It would be complete. It didn't solve the problem. The, the, the sacrifices didn't cease. But when did they cease? History tells us that Roman conqueror Titus came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. 
and therefore blood sacrifices were cut off at 70 AD. So within a few years, 20, 30 years, you know, the temple. And to this day, they do not offer sacrifices. <coughs> I'm sure there were little bands that tried it here and there. But, you know, they don't offer sacrifices. Why? Why? Because the sacrifice was already done. God said there's no need for the temple. Now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple. Jesus opened up the veil so you could be the temple. If they, these blood of bulls and goats could, could solve the problem, then, then why did Jesus have to come? They were incomplete. They were only a shadow, a hazy outline of the real thing to come. By the way, if you, if you know anything about TV commercials, you can find out that in the years 1940 to 1970, Coca-Cola says they, it was the real thing. It ain't the real thing. Jesus Christ is a real thing. I remember one missionary telling me, I don't know if it was uh, Dave Novello or Brett uh, Haney's telling me that, uh, you know, they're taking the gospel. Uh, Joe Novella has a, a, a mission trip to a missionary to, to take the gospel to all the tribes along the Amazon River. And uh, he said that, I think it was Joe, he said that he went to this one place and, and they found out that they, nobody knew anything about Jesus. Nobody knew anything. But they asked him if he was thirsty. And they go up and to the place in, in their tent and they bring back a Coca-Cola. And they go, Joe says, I think it was, I'm almost positive it was Joe Novella. He said, Coca-Cola got here, but Jesus Christ didn't. How is that? I don't know. Is it me? Maybe we're not doing our job. Not good enough anyhow. Coca-Cola got there. These continual animal sacrifices are just a reminder of sin all those years. Verse 3 in Hebrews 3 tells us that. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year. It was incomplete. But now it's complete. But now Jesus' sacrifice is once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Once for all. You don't, Jesus doesn't need to be sacrificed ever again. It's done. It is done. Verse 4 of Hebrews 10. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. By the way, the Hebrew word for atonement is kofar. And you know what it means? To cover. To cover. Even, even the Jews knew it wasn't permanent. They knew there was a Messiah coming. But when Jesus showed up, they were more interested in this and fame and fortune. How many people you know today that are so wealthy they could have no need for Jesus? Got to be ashamed of themselves. Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. He doesn't cover them. Here's what David says in Psalm 51. Let me read it. I think I have it marked here so I don't have to dig long song. Psalm 51. I'll just read part of it for you. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. He didn't want them covered up. He knew that he sinned big time. He took Bathsheba as a wife. And to, to solve the problem that she was pregnant... He had Uriah come in, and of course Uriah wouldn't sleep with his wife with his wife because he was so dedicated to his buddies out there in the field getting shot and killed. I shouldn't say shot, except with an arrow. But he wouldn't sleep with his wife, so David had a real predicament. So he sent Uriah back to the field with a note to Joab and said, Joab, make sure he put him in the front line. Make sure he gets killed. So David was responsible not only for, for adultery, now he's in, installed for premeditated murder. And not only that, he didn't just murder, he didn't just murder um, Uriah. The note said, 
put them in the front line with the other men. And they did an attack on they did an attack on the wall and the archers killed the whole whole bunch of them there and they had to retreat. And Uriah was killed, not just Uriah, many other soldiers were killed because of David's sin. But he's saying, Lord, I messed up so big time, big time, blot out my transgressions. Blot it out. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Purify me, verse 7, with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. He's saying, later on in the chapter, create in me a new heart, O God. He wants to start over. He wants his sins to be washed away. He don't want God to remember what He did to Uriah or the other soldiers in that camp. He didn't want Israel to know that He committed adultery. He wanted it all wiped out. And it was because the bulls and the goats continue to be sacrificed. Only Christ, the Lamb of God, can take away sin. The Greek New Testament word for if is a pharaoh, which means complete removal or taken away. It was kind of like the same word is used when Peter grabbed the sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Completely severed. Off completely. Verse 7, 5 through 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering I did not desire. This is the Lord talking. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sins you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. To do your will, O God. Listen, Jesus is being defined right here as saying in the whole Old Testament and the New Testament, it's written of him. He's telling you the scriptures are written about him right from the very beginning. Genesis 3.15. I told everybody on Thursday night, and if you're part of this church, you're going to hear it again. The Trinity is seen in the first three verses of the Bible. The first three Bibles, Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. In verse 1, the, 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 the Lord, or God created the heavens and the earth. That word there for God, the name for God is Elohim. That's in the plural tense. It's in the plural tense. If it would say just El created, there's no room for a Trinity. Therefore, Christianity wouldn't exist. And it would be a false religion. But God, Elohim, the plural sense, created. So now we see God the Father in, three, in, in at least three persons. As we, well, no. Because we're a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. Which we find out in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Anyway, the next verse. The Spirit of God hoovered over the waters. Now we see the Spirit. We, so we got God the Father in verse 1, God the Spirit in, in, in verse 2, and verse 3 says, Then the Lord said. Who was the Lord? The Lord said. Let's see. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there we see Jesus Christ himself, the very word of God, speaking. And if you can back that up with other scriptures like Colossians, that says, he, or it's John, I think it is, he was in the world, and he, 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 he was in the world, and he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, they became the sons and daughters of God. That was not the verse I was looking for. But it says in Colossians, he was the creator and all things were made through him and for him. So we see the scriptures back it up. Jesus Christ is the Lord. 
You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's no doubt about it. It's, he's the only one that could say, this whole book here is written about me. Him, Jesus. That's the whole book's about Jesus. The scarlet thread that runs through the entire Old Testament and New Testament. The totality of Scripture. Jesus is, a, is in it. He even told uh, the disciples in the New Testament, search the, you know, search the Scriptures. and I forget how it goes. I should skip that verse. But, you know, the scriptures are all about Jesus. He's the, there's no more hazy outline says Jesus died and rose, rose, on, rose from the dead. There's no more hazy outline. Now we have a complete New Testament, which he ushered in on the communion at, at um, Passover, the last Passover he spent. That we uh, did a, a Passover today. Um, of representation of Passover where Jesus completed it and now we're saved through him and no longer do we need any sacrifice. The Lord has prepared a body for me. The incarnate Son of God, we're talking about it. That it was suited for him to be 100% God and 100% man. Not 50 and 50, 100% God, 100% man. He was 100% God because He was the seed of the Father. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And He was a whole man because Mary's bloodline, the bloodline from, from the David, continued to Mary. The whole Old Testament was really about Jesus. The whole New Testament is about Jesus. If you take Jesus out of the Bible, the Bible will fall apart. Even the Old Testament. You take out, even if you take out the blood, the Bible will talk, fall apart. You take out Jesus, the Christophanies, the types, the uh, foreshadowings, the script, the uh, fulfilled prophecies, this book would fall apart. You could take me from that book and it won't do nothing. But Jesus, it's done. Only Jesus could say in the volume of a book, it is written of me. Yes, He's written in the prophecies, as I told you. He's written in the types. He's written in the foreshadowings. He's written in the sacrifices, like the, the scapegoat sacrifice. One goat, one goat was to be sacrificed for sin. The other one was to escape. Well, that was Barabbas. Barabbas. He stood before Pilate. Which one do you want me to release? Well, they chose Barabbas. He was, he was the goat that was set free. You know what? We're the goats that were set free. Jesus took it on this cross for me and you. We're the, we're the escaped goat. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. The feasts, they all picture Jesus. The Old Testament feast, the old Jewish feast, the festivals, even the tabernacle and the temple were a reflection of Christ. You take Christ, you take Messiah out of the Old Testament, New Testament, it's, this book just falls apart. There's nothing to it. Hebrews 10, verse 8, 8 and 9. I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. This is what we, we had communion about today. Jesus took away the first incomplete covenant and he established the new covenant complete. You are completely saved. You are completely healed. You are completely God's. God's will, according to that verse, is to redeem mankind. It was established in the garden. Jesus' flesh was speaking. Father, remove, if, if it's possible, let this cup be removed from me. To which the Father said, no, it can't be done. You have to take this cup. He did that three times. And finally, he says, Thy will be done. And he submits to the Father's will. That's what you and I are supposed to be. Submitted to Father's will. That's what another picture in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham went up into the Mount Moriah to worship. He didn't bring Jeremy Camp with him. Believe me, I, I love Jeremy Camp. 
I, I met him one time, me and my wife, Lizzie, and took a picture with him. It was at a pastor's conference in Tampa. You know what? He didn't take, he took his son with him and the wood and the fire, and that was it. And he said, we're going up to the mountain and worship, and we'll be back. He already knew he was coming back with Isaac, even though God told him he was going to sacrifice his son. You know what? You know what worship is in its truest form, and I say it all the time, and people should get it. He didn't bring a praise band with him. He probably sang a few hymns. But what he did on that mountain was submit his will to God's will, just like Jesus did in the garden. That is the truest form of worship. Submitting your will to God's will. I can say that every Sunday and every Thursday, and I'm hoping people will catch it. I'm hoping I catch it. Jesus submitted to the cross just like Isaac was ready to submit to his father. His father bound him up and laid him on the altar, and Isaac was willing to go. Isaac was willing to go. He wasn't a little child either. I showed you from Scripture. He was probably no less than 15 years old up into 25. That means he could have overpowered his dad who was 115 with no problem. He was willing. It's a picture of Jesus submitting to the Father, and it's a picture for us to submit to God. Hebrews 10.10, by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's why there's no more sacrifices. Once for all. Jesus did it once for all, the just for the unjust. He who knew no sin, Hebrew, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 or 21, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the children of God. We might become the righteousness of God, I'm sorry, in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's now only one sacrifice for sins and Jesus did it at the cross. At Calvary. You don't have to offer any more sacrificing. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. You know it. Peter and John went up to the gate called Beautiful. And at the gate there, there was a, was a, a man that needed to be uh, born lame. I'm only going to do the first verse. We're not going to go through the rest of it. Now Peter and John went up to the temple at the time of prayer. Do you see that? Jesus was already dead. Ascended into heaven. Risen and ascended into heaven. Peter and John went to the temple, not for the time of sacrifice, because the sacrifice already took place. They went to the temple at the hour of prayer. See the difference? The disciples already get it. They've already been baptized in the Spirit. They get it. They went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They knew that Jesus' sacrifice was final because they knew that Jesus died once for all. Hebrews 10, verse 11. The high, the very, and every priest stands delivering daily sacrifices, offering daily which can never take away sins. Can never take away sins. Verse 12. After he had obtained, offered one sacrifice for sins, forever, one sacrifice forever, Jesus Christ, he sat down at the right hand of God. Kind of reminds you of the Father resting on the third or seventh day. Did Jesus sit down at the right hand of God because he was tired? I don't think so. You know why he sat down at the right hand of God? His work was completed. His work was completed. He completed the whole New Testament, completing the Old Testament in the process. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He wasn't tired. He takes the posture of rest because he did his work. Right now, Jesus is in heaven interceding for us. That's why he told us, he said, when I go in that day when I'm gone, this is John 16, in that day when I'm gone, you will no longer ask me for anything. He's talking to his disciples. You and I are disciples. 
In the day that I'm gone, you will no longer ask me for anything. He said, you will ask the Father in my name. Watch me when I pray. I always pray that way. Father, we're coming to you in the name of Jesus. That's it. That doesn't mean if you say, Jesus, um, you know, do this for me, he isn't going to hear you. It just means that, you know, there's, there's a growing process in all of us, whether it be prayer, fasting, preaching, whatever. He wasn't tired. His work was completed. And he takes the posture of rest. And now he intercedes for us as the devil accuses you and me constantly. Verse 13, till your enemies be made a footstool. Listen, his perfect life leads to his perfect atoning death, which leads to his resurrection, which leads to his ascension, which will lead to eventually his triumphant return over every enemy being put under his feet, which is the second coming he is talking about here. Not the rapture, the second coming. Psalm 101 or 110 verse 1 says this, The Lord, Elohim, said to my Lord, Adonai, Sit at my right hand until I make the, your enemies a footstool for your feet. You're talking about God the Father and God the Son. That's the second coming. Verse 14, he by one offering perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You have been perfected forever if you're a child of Christ. For those over on the internet, you are perfected forever because you're a child of Christ. I tell everybody this. Every, a lot of Christians think that they can do whatever they want. You know, to be redeemed or to be justified. But to be perfected. But listen, you can take justification and, and um, redemption and put that into three categories. Because you've received Christ as your Savior, your position is you are sanctified. Your position in Christ, you're sanctified. There's also progressive sanctification. That's from the time you're born again to the time you die, that's where you progress in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So sanctification or justification too, you know, depends on you have some part to do. You need to be more like Jesus every day. You and I both. And then there is perfected sanctification, and that's when we stand before God. We are totally perfected and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' work is only effective to those who are being sanctified through faith. You're sanctified. You're perfected. You're justified. You're redeemed. You're sanctified by position, by progressing in the faith, and by the day when you stand before the Lord as as a, you know, a perfected sanctification. Jesus' death is able to save everyone, but only those who are sanctified. For those of you on the internet or those of you here, if you're not sanctified, you know, his death is able to save you if you, if you come to him. Sanctification means set apart to Christ by an act of your choice. So for those on the internet, if you've never made a choice for Jesus, you need to do it now. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but as many as received him, that means you have action to do. Over the internet, you have action to do. You have to receive him. You just can't say, I believe. I believe. Believe is a verb. It's an action verb. It means to adhere to, trust in, rely on. But as many as received him, you need to. God sent a gift. And it was his son, Jesus. So God so loved the world. He put a gift before you. But that gift still stays under the Christmas tree unless you open it up. You have to go there and open it up. Every one of you out there, God sent a gift. His, the gift is his son, 
and your salvation is the result of that gift. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe, not with your head, but with your heart. Because I said it in the beginning, there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. It doesn't say might be saved. It says must be saved. That blows down Muhammad. That blows down Buddha. That blows down Hare Krishna. And that blows down anybody that thinks they're the Christ. There's only one that fulfilled all those prophecies, all those shadows, all those types that ended up in Jerusalem at 33 AD. Because that's what Daniel's prophecy says in chapter 9. Peter preached to the Gentiles in chapter 10. He preached to them about Christ being crucified, whipped, beaten, and his, his death. And then God raised him from the dead, and the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, and they received the gift of, the whole, of tongues, and they began to speak in tongues. And, and the, the centurion, his whole household was saved. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. <coughs> we are perfected through Christ's death. In our spirit man, where body, soul, and spirit, as First Thessalonians tells us, may, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, body, Father, Son, Spirit be perfected till the Lord Jesus Christ comes. That means we have work to do. We need to progress in our sanctification. That dash between the time you were born again to the time you die is your, sanct your progressive sanctification. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says this, Jesus took our sin upon himself. Now the sin no longer remains upon them, you and me. Jesus took our sins upon himself. Now it no longer remains on us. And John backs that up in chapter 12. Now judgment is upon the whole world. The ruler of this world has been judged. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all of your judgment to myself. Not men. I told you all about that. The verse says, I will draw all men to myself. It is not in any manuscript that has ever been found. Men is not there. It was added by the translators, put in parentheses and slanted so that you would know that they added it because they thought it clarified it, but it did not clarify it. It confused it. The context is judgment. Now judgment has come into the world, and the ruler of this world is judged. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all judgment, because that's the context of myself. So all your judgment is upon Jesus if you received him as your Savior. Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us. There sees the Trinity right here. The Trinity scene, the Holy Spirit's witnessing. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, the Son, after he offered one sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9 says, the Father's will. So we got the Father, we got the Son, we got the Holy Spirit in six verses here shown. Hebrews 10, 16, there's only two more verses to go, church. This is the covenant I will make, says verse 16. Here's what author makes note that the promises of a new covenant are, are written here, which is now being instituted by Messiah, a new covenant. Let me read you Jeremiah. You know it. There are days coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I shall make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each other his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Talking about future and now we see it right here in the New Testament. I will put my laws 
in their hearts and in their minds. That means inward transformation, church. Inward transformation. You know for sure, Paul tells us, you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. Right? Do we act like it? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's in Old Testament. It's being completed here in the New Testament. Because of the blood of Christ, he will remember your sins no more. Thank God. Thank God. Whew. That's what David was saying, I think, when he wrote Psalm 51. Thank God. A new covenant offers complete forgiveness. Not temporary. Complete. Our sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. It's thrown, one version in a paraphrase says, he's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. He willingly forgets. God willingly forgets. That means when you got, when, before you became a believer, all that bad stuff that you did, if you went back and said, Lord, remember that time I did this? He says, you did? You did? He chooses to forget. Thank God. Some of the things I, you wouldn't even like me if I told you some of the things I did. Praise God. That's why I said today when we took communion, don't think about how wretched you are. Think about our wonderful Savior and how wonderful and great and awesome is he. Because of Jesus' fulfilling in the New Testament, it leaves no place for any more Levitical sacrifices. Where there is remission of your sins, there is no longer a need for sacrifice. Your sins are forgiven, your iniquities, your transgressions are forgiven and forgotten. What more? Tell me, world, people over the internet, people here, what more could God have done for us? What more could he have done for us? He set forth his son. He offered himself as a sacrifice for you. He suffered for you. He died for you. He intercedes for you. What more could we, you do? What more could he do for us? There's nothing more. Now it's time for you to do something. And that is to receive Christ as your Savior. You've got to ask him into your heart. With all your heart. Just don't wave your hand in the air while you're at home or in church and say, I believe, I believe. No. You, you, you wave it with your heart or your head. If you're raising with your head, God don't care about your head. He wants your heart. That's why he told, told Samuel to go anoint um, the one that he chooses. He says, and don't, Samuel, don't you dare look at the outward appearance. You look at the inward heart. And that's what he does. He looks at the inward heart. So you pray with the inward heart. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the mouth man confesses, and with the heart man believes, resulting in salvation. So what are you going to do about it, church? There's a lot of people out there, maybe even here, that have backslidden. Maybe we forgot about the precious blood we, we wrote a song about. Or we forgot about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his, what he did for us. It's time to renew that. The Bible is very clear. It says the Lord takes no pleasure in a backslider. So if you find yourself in a backsliding position, it's time to renew your commitment and come back to Christ with all of your heart. Your sin will eventually kill you. The Bible tells us that, you know, our lust will turn into sin and our sin will turn into death. It reminds me of the Komodo dragon. Keep us in mind. Komodo dragon. He goes up to a water buffalo and bites it several times. He can't kill it. It's too big for him. But what he does after he bites it, he follows it around for a week or a month, whatever it takes, with those toxins in the Komodo dragon's mouth begin to deteriorate and infect the water buffalo. And as time goes on, the water buffalo falls over dead because he's infected. And then the Komodo dragon has his Thanksgiving feast. 
I'm telling you, if you don't do that and you let your sin continue, the devil will be having a Thanksgiving feast over you because you turned away. You forgot about the precious blood that, is, that uh, our Lord saved us with, his shedding of his blood. So you need to receive Christ as your Savior right now and ask him into your heart. And for those of you out here that are backslidden, for those of you over the Internet, just pray with me, but use your heart. Use your heart. Reach down there and just speak with this and say, Father, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he came. He died for my sins. His broken body and his blood shed was for me, for my salvation. Come into my heart now and make me a new person. Make me the man, the woman you want me to be. And give me the gift of your Holy Spirit that I might serve you in this earth. For those of you who are backslidden, you can say, Lord, I'll come back to you. I forgot. I turned away. I repent of my sins. I'm doing an about face now, and I'm going to come back to you. I was walking the way of the world for a while, but I'm coming back to you with my whole heart. Thank you for redeeming me, sanctifying me, justifying me, and thank you for asking me to become one of your children. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you all. I'm sorry we went 15 minutes over, but I'm not going to stop the Holy Spirit if he's on us. You know, I don't know about you guys, but it's either the King of King or Burger King. I'll choose the King.